Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about shame. I'll discuss some studies about how shame can lead to abusing alcohol and relapsing, my idea of a pain threshold, and I'll even share some of my shame because I think it's healthy to free ourselves. So let's dig in. 
Shame is a major problem, especially for problem drinkers. A 2015 study found that fifth graders who regularly experience feelings of shame began drinking earlier in their teenage years. A 2014 study of college students showed that students who experienced shame after drinking more alcohol than they thought their peers typically drank were likely to increase their drinking the following week. So the problem with alcohol is that every time you shame yourself from drinking, you get a little bit lower. After you've messed up a thousand times, you're very low. Every time I drank, I was telling myself, you deserve bad things. I would drink and throw away my nights and weekends to escape the shame that was caused by throwing away my nights and weekends. In other words, I drank because I hated myself and I hated myself because I drank. Some psychological studies on alcohol abuse have suggested that drinking is a way to cope with negative emotions, specifically shame. So guilt is viewing your actions as bad, but shame is when you view yourself as bad because of your actions. Shame makes us feel worthless. It's characterized by intense feelings of inferiority, worthlessness, and embarrassment, and has been found to be central to depression, which is another thing that I've struggled with. It's been found that guilt can be a motivator towards seeking help, but shame actually prevents us from getting help and is linked more to psychological distress. Research on shame suggests that it makes us more vulnerable to developing addictive behaviors. Higher amounts of shame have actually been found in people who use alcohol as a coping strategy for their anxiety and depression. So shame prevents us from recovering because when we stop drinking, the shame becomes overwhelming. Drinking temporarily relieves us of the shame. It makes us not care about it anymore. Quitting drinking can be unbearable because all the shame floods back into our minds. A 2011 study found that higher levels of shame in women was linked to a greater likelihood of relapse. And a 2013 study looked at body language in people attending AA meetings. What they found was that um, displays of shame while talking about a negative drinking experience predicted the occurrence of a relapse and the intensity of the negative drinking-related outcomes over the past four months. So just having shame puts you at risk for relapsing. And a relapse triggers feelings of worthlessness, which only makes the shame worse. We feel like we failed, and that keeps us in the cycle of drinking. I think of this as the drink, hate yourself, drink cycle. I was always calling myself a loser for drinking. Drinking made me bad. I was trapped in that cycle for so many years. And it's really easy to stay there. When you have such intense feelings of failure, it's going to make you more likely to drink to get rid of those feelings. So coping with feelings of shame is a very important part of the recovery process. The National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions found that in the U.S., despite fitting the criteria for alcohol use disorder, only 14.6% of individuals sought treatment. Numerous studies have shown that this is due to the shame and the stigma associated with having a problem with alcohol, which in turn also causes shame. 
Participants in a focus group discussed how seeking out help is a sign of being a failure, and they felt that they need to keep up appearances and not let anyone know that they needed help. They were worried what their friends and family would think if they admitted they had a problem with alcohol. This is exactly how I felt. I was so scared for what other people would think of me and that because I couldn't drink like other people, I was a failure. So if you think about it, if we're scared of what other people will think, that makes us keep drinking and keep feeling miserable. So eventually we just have to make a change and say, screw everybody. When I started posting on Instagram about my sobriety and doing this podcast, I was worried. I was worried specifically about acquaintances in my life and family members that I'm not very close to, how they would perceive this. So what if they listened to my podcast, specifically the last night of drinking episode, and they were shocked and horrified and made judgments about me. But in the end, I'm doing this for you guys. I'm not doing this for them. And that's all that matters. So we need to keep our focus on the people that actually matter. So several studies have shown that many participants, up to 61%, did not believe that they actually had a problem with alcohol. So this is the other main barrier to treatment, not wanting to give up drinking and being scared of sobriety. So we try to convince ourselves that we're not as bad as other people so we don't have to quit. That maybe we can moderate at some point in our future. So maybe you even did that with me when you listened to my bonus episode, The Last Night I Drink. Maybe you thought like, damn, that's why she quit? Well, I'm not that bad, so I don't think I have to quit. But just because you're not as bad as someone else doesn't mean that drinking is good for your life. So we often compare ourselves to the stigma of what we think an alcoholic looks like. And that's a pretty severe example of an alcoholic. So the reason that I chose not to seek out treatment was for all the reasons I just discussed. So I didn't think I needed it because my problem wasn't that bad. And it's true, I didn't need medical detox, medication, or rehab to get sober, but meetings or other kinds of support groups wouldn't have hurt. They may have helped even more. So I was afraid of what people would think if I went to meetings. What if someone recognized me? What if a coworker was there? And what you have to realize is, is like they're there too. They have the same problem as you. So because of all these fears, I tried to moderate for five years because I was so afraid to give up alcohol and I couldn't imagine my life without it. I thought life would be boring and sad forever. And ultimately, I really just accepted that I am not someone who can drink. So instead of meetings or other support groups, I joined a ton of sober Facebook groups and I went to therapy for help. So highly recommend therapy. Because of the stigma that's associated with admitting you need to stop drinking and asking for help to stop drinking, many problem drinkers and alcoholics will try to quit on their own without telling anyone, even people that they live with. So with some people who go this route, I see a lot of them go right back to drinking. Support is critical when you're trying to give something up as controlling as alcohol. So if you're in the early stages of your sobriety or you're just kind of thinking about giving up drinking, 
really find some support. So whatever your version of support is, whatever you're comfortable with, you need something. This isn't something that's easy to do by yourself. So I think we often wonder why our attempts to quit don't stick. So I woke up so many days with a hangover and was like, oh my God, I'm never drinking again. This is the worst. And then by 3 p.m., I'm rationalizing that, no, it's actually okay to drink because I need to practice and learn how to moderate. So a skip day wouldn't help me. And then you drink again. So I believe this is because everyone has a threshold for how much suffering you're willing to take. So your version of rock bottom is when you hit this threshold, and that's what propels you into sobriety. So mine was when getting drunk and killing myself became a possibility. So when I realized that that was something that could actually happen, it scared me so much that I stopped drinking. For others, their threshold may be in an unsuccessful suicide attempt or when they lose their job or getting a DUI. So everybody has a different pain threshold. So I think this is why a lot of people will try to quit and go back to drinking and then try to quit again. It's because you probably haven't hit your threshold yet, unfortunately. So they still hang on to that hope that they can keep drinking in their life. I know a lot of people think that after a certain amount of time of sobriety that maybe they're cured and they can drink again, or maybe their drinking wasn't actually that much of a problem. They'll experiment with one or two drinks and eventually they'll be right back into their old ways and then they'll have to quit again. So Craig Beck has an excellent video on this. It's called Why Success Breeds Failure. It's 12 minutes. I really encourage you to listen. It's on both his podcast and his YouTube channel. So I think once we hit this threshold, it's where the idea of continuing with our current life is unbearable. And that's when we're able to make a powerful change. In my opinion, giving up hope that I will be able to drink again someday has been essential to my success in sobriety and just how naturally I've been able to adjust to sober life. So the idea of forever is definitely daunting, so you don't have to think about that. But definitely try not to focus your energies on hoping to introduce alcohol moderately at some point. I'm a big fan of Dave Hollis, who is an author and speaker in the personal development field. If you aren't familiar with him, check out his Instagram. It's Mr. Dave Hollis. He has the best Instagram stories. It's so funny, so inspiring. So at least just check out his stories and, and enjoy. So the way that Dave describes shame is that it's the difference that exists between who you say you want to be and who you actually show up as. I was caught in a drink, hate myself drink cycle. I woke up most nights around 2 to 3 a.m. and I would stay awake and shame myself for drinking, especially if I got drunk. Then I would shame myself for hours. I wanted to work out consistently, lose weight, have a career I could be proud of, have a good marriage, and help others. I wasn't doing any of that because all I did was drink and hate myself. So the gap between who I wanted to be and who I was actually showing up as was huge. And that 
is reflected in the intense amounts of shame that I experienced on a daily basis. And now I am much closer to the person I said I wanted to be. And I feel a lot better about myself. I still struggle with shame, but it's not something overpowering that controls my life anymore. So knowing that I was sacrificing the things that I wanted to achieve year after year showed up as shame. And the shame only intensified as time went on and my drinking intensified as a result. It's so hard to get out of this shame loop. It took me so many years. So if you're suffering with shame, I'd encourage you to seek out therapy, especially from someone who specializes in alcohol abuse. Find a support group, whether that be in person or on Facebook, and to just work on your overall self-esteem. So I've improved my self-esteem by adopting healthy habits. So even if junk food makes me feel better in the moment, afterwards I feel worse and I also feel regretful and and wishing I could go back in time and, and not make that decision. So I don't necessarily want to eat kale, but kale is good for my body It doesn't make me feel sluggish, and I feel proud of myself the next day. And pride is super important when you're trying to get rid of shame. So eat your version of the kale. I read a very interesting study on shame from 2020, and researchers found that talking about our shame can be really helpful in recovery. So they worked with eight AA members and had them tell their stories about shame. So the participants spoke about a deep-rooted negative view of themselves, which had actually been present long before they started drinking, which if you remember what I said at the beginning of the episode, how fifth graders that display a lot of shame are more likely to start drinking sooner than their peers. So alcohol helped these people connect with others, and it relieved those feelings of inadequacy. So the participants told stories about their shame and that helped them externalize it and put it in a different character. So that's why when I talk about my drunk alter ego, I call her drunk Jill. She's just a totally different person. She doesn't even feel like me anymore. So think about your version of drunk Jill. So back to the participants. So by externalizing shame, We receive empathy from other people, and this helps us feel more accepted, which also minimizes the effects of the shame that we were feeling. So having others give you support and be there for you and maybe say they've experienced the same thing, it helps you feel better about it and maybe view it in a different way. By even just hearing the other participants speak about their shame, it helped everyone in the group feel understood and it gave them a sense of belonging. So because of that, I'm going to talk about some of my shame. So I have a really strong anti-poison response. Every time I got too drunk, I would throw up and I was rarely in an appropriate place to do so. So I was never by a bathroom is what I mean. I threw up constantly. One time, I threw up wine out of my nose. It's actually really painful, and it felt like I was joking. But I've thrown up in parking garages. I've thrown up in the street, all over the place. So a couple years ago, I was probably like 27, I went to a friend's party. And this was when I started getting really desperate about my drinking. 
So I was starting to like really threaten myself with sobriety saying like, if you can't figure out how to moderate, you're going to have to just like quit for good. So I was really trying hard at this point. So her and her husband like to create different kind of cocktails and I was excited to try them even though I had a no liquor rule. But as you guys know, we have the rule until we break it. So I brought my own bottle of cheap red and I was just going to drink that, but I figured one cocktail couldn't hurt. So I had a cocktail and then I drank probably my entire bottle of cheap wine. And at one point in the party, I got nauseous really fast. I was starting to feel really, really horrible. So I found my husband and I told him, we need to go right now. So I snuck out without saying goodbye, which was my usual way to end a drunk night, so no one should have been surprised. And I stumbled to the train station. We took the first subway fine, but as we were waiting for the second train, the nausea punched me in the face. My entire body heaved and collapsed onto the disgusting MBTA platform. If you haven't been to Boston, our subways are kind of nasty. So I barfed all over the place and myself on the crowded platform as we waited for the subway to arrive. So once the subway got there, I sat on the train covered in my own vomit, wearing my husband's jacket to try to hide it, but everybody knew what I did. I'm sure they all knew. And besides that, I must have really stunk. So we took an Uber from the train station back to our house and that poor Uber driver, like, I'm sure he knew I was one of those drunk, messy girls. And I'm sure I stunk up his car. So the next morning, I woke up with intense feelings of shame. And I assessed the damage. My brand new dress was covered in vomit. My boots were covered in vomit. And I spent the entire day shamefully cleaning up everything and apologizing to my husband. And Naturally, it was the cocktail's fault. Always someone else's fault or something in this case. If I had only not had that cocktail, the night would have turned out differently. So I encourage you to tell your own shame story this week, whatever that may be, whatever you are comfortable with. Tell a trusted friend or your partner. Tell me. Post it on your Instagram and inspire others. Whatever you decide to do, internalizing that shame keeps us stuck in the loop, or makes it easier to return to that loop. Like the studies I've talked about show, when we externalize our shame, we see that people can empathize with us, or maybe they've even had the exact same experience. So let's free ourselves. If you do decide to make a post, please make sure you tag me in it so I can support you. And if you threw up waiting for a subway once and had to shamefully take the subway home covered in your own vomit, please reach out and let me know. I would appreciate some empathy as well. So again, thank you guys for listening. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps me out so much, and I will talk to you next week.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.